everybody. Welcome to the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs checking. Open online today at wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. And as a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. I'm Andy Martinez here, joined by Marquee Sports Network contributor and 670 The Score contributor, Bruce Levine. Bruce, thanks for joining us. I gotta start, actually, before I let you chime in, I did not get the memo about dressing as nicely as as you are. I, I Sorry, I missed that memo. Well, your memo will come in pink, and uh, it'll be next week. I'm sorry to be the first to tell you, Andy, but uh, no, you know, I, I like to dress up for certain things, and you know, just doing so many things here at Marquee, you got to be versatile, right? Well, I came in for the, the side jab, and you came out with a knockout blow, so you, you got me there. Anyway, that's besides the point, Bruce, we want to get into it. We're recording Wednesday before the finale in New York, doing the Cubs and the Mets. The big news uh, leading up to that was Drew Smiley. David Ross announced that he's moving into the bullpen, as he said, short term. I guess, just Bruce, what is the ramification of of that, and what does that kind of mean for the Cubs going forward? So, you know, uh, when they when you talk about being moved to the bullpen, most people believe, Andy, that you're being demoted, okay? And in this case, that's not necessarily the case. Smiley's had trouble with his innings, right? He's had trouble getting through. So what what... David is going to do, and, and what a lot of smart managers do is, in this era of bullpens, you start a guy like Wisniewski, and uh, and he he starts a game, and he pitches three or four innings, and then the lineup's all set for him, and then all of a sudden you bring in Smiley in the third or fourth inning, and he can do this maybe twice a week. So therefore, uh, if you're having trouble with a starter, or if you have a young guy like Assad or Wisniewski uh, starting, and you don't think they're going to get through five, uh, you have this option, and you turn the other manager's lineup all, all the way around. You're, all of a sudden, you have an advantage, and uh, Smiley comes in and has the advantage. So a demotion at this point is not necessarily that. It's just a kind of a change of role for Smiley. And I thought the, the interesting thing, too, was just the, the stretch that the Cubs are on, right, where it's 16 games uh, in 16 days. It's Wednesday's the last game of that, and, and then they have – three off days in the span of like a week. So it's really funky with the schedule. But we've seen this bullpen get taxed kind of quite a bit uh, recently. And and I shouldn't say taxed because usually when you say taxed, the the thought is, oh, things are going bad because they're all tired. They they really haven't gone that bad yet or or anything like that. It's just more so they're being relied on a lot. And, And I think Drew Smiley provides some cover in the sense that if you need someone to eat up two or three innings, that's a good that's a good role for him. Where it becomes interesting is now you have kind of a lot of those guys, right? Assad starting in Toronto in the opener, so he might be a starter. I, I guess I don't know what the role is there. But then Killian, Caleb Killian's in that role. Wesneski, as you mentioned, is also in that role. And now Drew Smiley's in that role. I think there's also some sense in that because it, it kind of eases the burden a little bit on guys like Mark Leiter Jr., Julian Merriweather, Adbert like guys that you have been relying on quite a bit uh, through the first few months of the season. Well, you see a start like Assad's last one where he gave up a couple runs, but everybody applauded him for, uh, you know, doing three and two-thirds innings. And and that is the segmentation of baseball now. That is a total team play where the bullpen guy, where the starter goes, yeah, I only went three and two-thirds, but I gave up two runs. The other, the other guys came in and we won the game, okay? So in other years, you would say, gee, that's a failed starter. In this era, it's all about guys who know their roles and managers segmenting games to win them and because you have so many more bullpen guys now you're able to do this 
I'm curious, what to you, what do you think the rotation looks like moving forward? Because with this move for Smiley and with Assad starting, right now, like, you only really have three defined starters uh, on your roster right now, right? It's it's Justin Steele, Jameson Tyon, and Kyle Hendricks. All three are, are pretty good options, don't get me wrong. Right. But that's still only three. What does the kind of rotation look like moving forward? Well, you know, moving forward, I'd have to say that uh, Stroman will be back here pretty soon. They feel he's only going to miss one start, even though he's going to be gone 15 days. And Andy, as you alluded to, uh, there's three off days within the next week. So that allows them to uh, reshuffle the the rotation and and not feel like uh, they're light in that area. So with him coming back, I, I look for Assad to maybe get another start. And after that, Andy... You know, from that point on, you know, hopefully Stroman will be back to take his spot and there'll be some strength in there. Yeah, and that's that's the that's the key point because when the rotation was going well, when it was a real strong point of this of this team was when you had Justin Steele and Marcus Stroman who were going six, seven, sometimes eight, or in Stroman's case that complete game against Tampa Bay, they were covering those innings. They they were going deep into games and giving you a chance to win. And, and that's the best version of the Cubs. You, right now, everyone keeps talking about how hot the offense is and, and how great the offense looks since, since the All-Star break or since whenever time frame you want to use. It seems like they've been good for a little bit here now. But as we've seen in a baseball season, there's going to be lulls. There's going to be uh, ups and downs. And what you want is that pitching to be consistent, right? And, and right now, as, as the offense has been good, the, the starting pitching hasn't been as solid as it was in the beginning of the year. And that's what you want the Cubs to get back to, right, is – you want to have Stroman and Steele and Tyone and Hendricks and whoever the fifth starter, whether it's Wesneski, Assad, or Smiley, you want those guys to be able to go deep so that you can right. give yourself a chance to win. And the good news is that the Cubs are a much better team this last month in leverage situations. Okay, yeah. Before, you know, their projected point. record was five or six games better than what they played. Now, <clears throat> with the offense firing the way it can, if you can, as you said, you keep the pitching going and you stay in games, they they can prove they can win from the seventh inning on, something that they weren't able to do earlier in the year. So with that in mind, uh, you know, you just hope that the starting pitching, I mean, Tyone is, is the reverse of what he was from the beginning yeah. right now. Hendricks, you know, you're a little unsure of him because he got clobbered in Atlanta uh, last weekend. But, you know, he's a steady Eddie. He's a guy that you can count on. You just, you know, the key to the Cubs uh, winning and, and going on to either a wild card or winning the division is uh, how Stroman pitches. He's got to yeah. pitch. He's got to come back and throw six, seven good innings when he's back. Should be well-rested, confident, and, and ready to go. That's going to be important for them. Yeah, and that's, that's, the, that's the important part, right, is, is you want him to, to be that, that ace. I don't think you expect him to be as elite as he was early on. I think... Uh, I've mentioned it before, as I, even on this podcast, you you didn't know if the 2.2 ERA that he had early on the season was who he was the whole season. You probably thought he wasn't, but you also didn't think he was this this version of himself where he's been struggling the last few starts, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of felt like it was a little in between, but probably more so towards that 2-2 guy. You want him to get back to some version of that. If he's like a 3-3-5 to ERA guy, like that's incredible for the rotation and that gives them a boost and it gives you the one-two punch especially in a three-game playoff series that that you want right with him and seal you uh you you alluded to the era which is right but you're going to need innings from your starting pitchers you know uh, the bullpen is just not going to be able to hold up this way uh you cannot rely on young pitchers from the minor leagues 
Uh, unfortunately, with the rules the way they are now, there's no more waiver deals over the last three years. That changes the dynamic of trying to win with veterans. You're going to have to try to win with who you have and also your minor league system. So Wisniewski is going to have to be a guy that helps. You know, you, you hope that Killian is somebody that helps. You've already gotten a lot of uh, a lot of length out of Assad, who is an unsung hero. Hopefully he can continues to get stretched out and be an important starting pitcher. But, you know, keep your eye on that bullpen and uh, the wear and tear there is certainly there. You have to keep keep watching that. We're going to we're, we're going to get to that a little later, but let's just get into it now with that with the bullpen. We've we we've talked about the the three headed four headed monster, however many guys you want to refer to: Fulmer, Merriweather, um, Al Alzali, and Lighter Junior. Like those those have been the the four guys that David Ross has leaned on in leverage situations, and all four in various roles have have succeeded and have thrived. But also a lot of these guys haven't pitched this much or been in this situation. Fulmer's case, he just became a reliever in the last two years. Um, Lighter Junior was a was a starter. Uh, stretch guy, like kind of like Assad was for a while. Edward Alzali didn't really pitch much last year because of injury. Julian Merriweather really didn't pitch much. He hasn't pitched this much since, I believe, 2019 when he was a minor leaguer. How do they avoid the, the drop-off, and, and how do they... It's a great question. How do they avoid the wear it's and tear a, on the guys? great question. I will tell you this. Being in the clubhouse every day like you are, yeah. you have the advantage to tell about whether guys are um, really believing themselves, digging who they are, understanding the team concept, rooting for everybody else, and confident. I see an awful lot of confidence in these guys. Yeah. Uh, maybe they didn't have success, all of them, at the major league level before, but they certainly were uh, veteran pitchers who have gotten to this point. So uh, I, I would say don't bet against these guys. The only thing that would crimp their style is if you see um, a drop-off in velocity, if you see some minor injuries, uh, creeping up. That is uh, the, the thing that you have to worry about. But from a confidence issue, and, you know, again, I'll throw it back to you. I, I don't think these guys are going to scare in big moments. I, I'm right there with you. It, it's inter always, always interesting when you think about, like, the, the closer or the, the, the leverage arm. You always hear talking about, like, the, having that mentality, right, whether it's like a bulldog mentality or whatever you want to call it, having that mentality. Edward Alzali has that, right? Like, I think the, the, the second game in New York uh, when – it's a one-run game, three-two game, and he comes in. You could tell he didn't have his best stuff, and like that was, that's going to happen over the course right. of 162. You knew like that that stuff wasn't as sharp as it has been. I think about the the save he had against the White Sox, where his stuff looked as this probably the best it had looked all year. It didn't look that great, but he was still able to get those three outs. He was still able to find a way to to get you out, and having that mentality of like, okay, like yeah, I might not be able to get, I might not be able to punch you out with three disgusting sinkers or with a wipeout slider. But I'm going to be able to get you to ground into an inning-ending double game-ending double play. That mentality is huge. Mark Leiter Jr. kind of has that mentality too, where he comes in and he's like, "I've got this really great splitter and have fun trying to hit it. And if you can, I have faith in my defense that I can that it can get the out." And you just hit on the key. The silver lining is the defense. Okay, if I make a mistake, somebody like Suzuki is going to go back and save a grand slam. If I yeah. make a mistake, uh, Bellinger is going to run it down. If I make a mistake. Hap is going to throw somebody out at a base. These are the things that give tremendous confidence to not only the players, but the coaching staff and the manager. So from that perspective, uh, what Hoyer uh, and the front office did in the offseason was 
100% right. They brought in winners from somewhere else, but also great defensive players who have changed the whole dynamic of the Chicago Cub team when they're competing on the field every day. Yeah, and it's it, the, the, the whole the winner thing. I, I, I'll count myself as one of those skeptics where it's like, how much can that really have an impact on it? And you see it when they're going through the month of May where they're struggling. And the, I mean, some of the level-headedness that you've seen, it's, it's been the same now as it was back in May, which right. is kind of remarkable if you think about it because they were – they were eight games out or eight games under 500. They were, they're out of like, it seemed like they were destined to another sell-off, but that mentality has stayed keen throughout the whole time. And I think that's been key to allowing them to get back in the playoff race. The vision of uh, Hoyer and Hawkins was that without shifting, you're going to need not only a great shortstop, but you're going to have to, again, have a second baseman with range, something you didn't have to do during the shifting years for six, seven, eight years. So they were ahead of the curve on that. They take a guy who actually had uh, better range factors last year than Swanson, even though they were both in the top four or five, and you put him at second base, that, that's a, a dynamic change. You see, <clears throat> you see how uh, double plays in the hole toward the first baseman for the second baseman uh, have been started by, uh, you know, by Horner that wouldn't have been done in the past. And, and those are the keys to winning baseball games. Yeah, and, and sometimes, too, it's something as little as like a, a ball between the first base and second base hole with a runner on first that maybe Nico Horner gets to, and maybe he only gets the out at first, but he holds that guy at second, and then they're able to, to kind of get out of a jam that would have been maybe like a first and third because that would have been a single. Right. Like those, those are little plays that they're never registered in the box score. They're never registered in, in, in like the big moment. You never look back on that kind of play. But those are the kind of plays that shift an extra run towards your team. And that that is the difference between winning and losing. Uh, Andy, real baseball fans love defense. Mm -hmm. And when you love defense, you always look at catcher, shortstop, second base, and center field. That's what uh, the Chicago Cubs have upgraded over the last two years. Last year, they signed Gomes to a two-year deal, one of the more underrated signings in baseball. As much as everybody loved uh, Contreras. Nobody's missing Contreras this year because you have Gomes stepping up, having a great year offensively, running the pitching staff. Then you have a shortstop and second baseman with the two best range factors in baseball. You have a center fielder who's also a gold glove first baseman running everything down there. People love defense and they love to watch it happening. And for the first time in a long time, Andy, we're watching that at Wrigley Field. Yeah, and, and we go back to it, right? The pitching and, and the defense, and, and that's allowing them. But when you start having offensive success, that also fans really get excited about that. And I, I mean, we, we've talked about it since the trade deadline with the, the addition of Jamer Candelario. And, and it seems like that just that vote of confidence, right? Of going out and getting him and signaling to the, the rest of the clubhouse, like that they believe in, that the front office believes in the, the clubhouse, that they can go out. How big has that addition been? And, and how much is, do you think that's benefiting them mentally on the field, et cetera, et cetera? Well, you know, I give the Cub Scouts an awful lot of credit for this because uh, you, you're not only looking at the uh, person and what he's doing on the field, and he's having a good year. Yeah. He's not a great player, he's a very good player. Right. Okay. So he's having a really good year. But also the makeup of where's he from? Oh, yeah, he was a Cub. You know, he was signed in 2010 as a. A free agent, okay? Uh, how did he fit in? Everybody loved the guy. He fit in great. Uh, what is he thought of? How is he thought of on the team that he's coming from? He's a leader there. 
He walks right into Wrigley Field. He's the most comfortable guy in the world. He's been there before, played there before, got a championship ring in 2016 for being a part of that. And he's the happiest guy in the world to come here. So doing your, your homework off the field, not, no, not just saying, well, you and I can tell whether uh, Candelario's got 16 home runs or 50 RBIs. What, what you don't know is if he's going to fit into a team that's already has some good things going. And, and that's been the perfect complement to this team. And I have a, a fun anecdote. I was talking to Christopher Morales, like when after the trade happened, I said, hey, what's your relationship with, with, with Jamer? How much do you know him? And he's like, hey, like I looked up to this guy because he was a guy that came up through the academy in the Dominican Republic and he made it to the major leagues and he was part of the, the 2016, that one, 2016 team that won a World Series. To Morel and the rest of those guys coming up through the Dominican Academy, that was like that he was like a, a face of the franchise almost, right? right? Because of the, he went through what they were trying to go through, what they were hoping to go through. Morel has gone through that journey as well, right? Dominican Republic Academy, working his way all the way up to the to the major leagues and becoming a, a pretty big piece of the Chicago Cubs. When he got there, he was really excited. They stayed in contact. They when he found out, he was really excited and and. The first day that, that Jamer Candelario gets there, it's BP and Jamer and, and Morel are like, hey, what's up? Like, good to see you. Nice to see you. And Jamer immediately is like, all right, this is what we want to do to work on a fastball inside or a fastball outside or a, or a curveball outside. Like, this is what we want to work on. They went to work immediately in the batting cage. And Christopher Morel's like, I learned 10 things immediately yeah, off the bat. It's and, a great and that's, story. And that's yeah. what you want to hear. That's what you want to see about a new addition that – he can come in and it's like he's been there for 10 years, which in a way he has been. And and folks, every week on these podcasts with Andy and Tony, that's the inside information that you get. And that's why you're here watching this today. Yeah. And, and that's that's what it's all about. That's what we're, we're trying to bring you. But Bruce, we're going to we're going to take a quick commercial break. After that, we're going to come in and we're going to talk about another guy who's having a pretty good season. Mike Talkman. Uh, pretty, pretty nice resurgence season. We're going to get into that more after a quick break from our sponsor. You've got the jersey, the ball cap, the foam finger. Everyone can see you're a Chicago Cubs fan from a mile away. Ready to take your look to the next level? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. With no monthly fees, free ATMs nationwide, and a $300 bonus when you open your account. Start showing your Cubs pride with every purchase. Sign up at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Welcome back into the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Bruce, we were chatting about Christopher Morrell. We were chatting about the, the, the Cubs resurgent offense of late. And one of the key factors has been Mike Talkman. And this is a guy that signed out of Korea on a minor league deal. Didn't really put much stock into what he would be in spring training. And he had a really good spring, but then he didn't make it out of camp. And suddenly he's become probably one of the most important pieces behind Cody Ballinger for the Cubs offense. He has really great at-bats. Mm -hmm. This type of professional coming in here has allowed the rest of the lineup not only to see more pitches when he's leading off, which Ross has had him do against right-handers for a long time now. Yeah. So he allows them to see six, seven, eight pitches, which is great for the rest of the lineup to see what the pitcher has that day. But he also establishes a no-fear type at-bat. A guy that can go down 1-2 or 0-2 and still fight back and have a good uh, at-bat. That hasn't been part of the Cubs' offense since Dexter Fowler was doing his thing back in in 15 and 16. So from that perspective, uh, Talkman is just a no-fear player. 
He's also a very fundamentally good guy, runs the bases well. You saw the great catch in St. Louis that'll be talked about for years, you yeah. know, part of a Cub legend already. Uh, you just you see the way he sets up in the outfield, the way he threw somebody out uh, for a double play the other day. He's a guy that has his head in the game. He's a, he's a gamer, okay? And it can't be overstated to have enough of those type of guys. You have your stars. You have Bellinger. You have Swanson. You have Nico. You know, you have a budding star in Morrell. You know, Hap is established. But to have the, the guys who are brought in as uh, back-end guys, as guys that uh, don't play every day and then step up like he has, it's invaluable. It's been a big part of why they're winning. Yeah, and that's, to me, the most important thing. Like, we see, like, San Diego, to me, is a prime example, right? Like, they said, let's get every superstar that's, that's hanging from the free agent tree, and right. then we'll see what happens. And then what happens? Uh, ineffective performance or injuries right. could happen, and then you're kind of like, well, who's next? The, they went out and traded away all these prospects, all these guys that could have been the next, the, the, the fill-in, the plug-in guy, and now you're, you're seeing kind of the, 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 the harm. And that's where the general manager uh, and the pre- president of baseball operations comes in because you brought yeah. in Hosmer, and, uh, you know, he's a guy that's, you know, an all-star, a championship-level uh, player but didn't have anything left. All he did was create a good situation, even though he knew he was on his way out. Yeah. Same thing with Mancini. Never a bad word, always words of encouragement. A bad year, you don't know how much he's got left in his career. They were positive influences, uh, even though they weren't able to contribute on the field. That is looking at players and knowing character. Do you have great character? A guy like Talkman, as you mentioned, a great character guy, knows his role. Smiley. A guy that a pitch on championship team with Atlanta, he knows his role. Okay, my role now is to help us win in the middle innings. It's not, you know, dragging your tail and dragging your head because you're no longer a starting pitcher. That is what a great front office does, and that's what the Cubs have been doing. They've brought in the right people to be able to move forward. And that's kind of the the, the domino effect for Mike Talkman is. That's meant he's moved over to right field with the addition of Jamer Candelario and Cody Bowser moving back to center field. That's meant that Say Suzuki, who was a big, big, big signing going into the 2022 season, has been reduced to a part-time role, and he has been in the same boat as Drew Smiley, as Trey Mancini, as Eric Hosmer, who instead of being upset, being frustrated, throwing, throwing a fit that he's not playing every day, he's just motivated to try and keep working. And, and But it's also a domino effect of like what the success of Mike Talkman has brought to, to the team. With with the Japanese players, you have the luxury of them uh, being trained as team players. Yeah. Totally. It's not always the case in the United States. We're in the star system here. Yeah. Star system creates a different ego for your baseball athletes. Sometimes you're not uh, totally in sync with your teammates. The case of Suzuki comes here and, and played team ball for eight years professionally, longer, nine years professionally, uh, so he understands that. He knows he has to get better. He knows he'll be on the bench for the players when he's not there. Does he like being on the bench? No. Is no. he going to fight hard to you know, get his at-bats here and, and come back and be a, an everyday player? I, I think nobody's rooting for him more than David Ross, who makes out that lineup every day. And, and we've seen the best of Say Suzuki. We've also seen the, the struggles and the worst of Say Suzuki. When he's at his best, when he's really good, I mean, that you can see why they gave him the money they did. They gave him the contract they did because he, his bat and his, his, his 
skills really translate to the game. It's just he hasn't been able to find that consistency. The one thing that has failed for a lot of Japanese players is uh, two things. They only play 140 games in Japan, and uh, the fences are relatively shorter. Uh, the power game has not really worked out well for a lot of Japanese players. And if you think back to uh, Fukudomi and the same type of situation with him, you know, an all-star in his first year, but not really a lot of those 365-foot uh, flies in Japan are home runs, and here they're caught on the warning track. So uh, if there's anything that hasn't worked out so far for Suzuki, it's the power in his game. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what has been his calling card. But like, like we've mentioned or like we've talked about is you have seen those flashes of maybe not hitting it 450 feet, but hitting a double to the gap, hitting a double the opposite way, getting a single the, the opposite way, like having that, that ability to do that. He hasn't really hit that groove this season. There's been peace. There's been there's been times where he's looked really good. There's been games. There's been stretches of games where he's looked really good, but he hasn't been able to do that. I think getting him right really deepens just the whole roster, right? The ability to go to him with a lefty and know that there's going to be really, really good, good success there. Being able to pinch hit him off the bat. I think there's there's so much options that that cre- that get created for David Ross if you can help him find his his rhythm again. Let's remember he gained 20 pounds in the off season mm-hmm. to get stronger. He had an oblique issue earlier in the year. <clears throat> These are still things that he may be trying to regulate. We don't know if he's lost weight here to try to get back to where he was. We don't know how the uh, oblique has affected him. We do know that nobody cares about that. All they care about right now is wins. And David Ross, as much as he wants to get him straightened out, is going to put the better yep. player to win that day in there, to, to his credit. I mean, you're, you're talking about a player that has a, a five-year $85 million contract, three more years left. Uh, but that's not going to stand in the way of Ross and, and the Cubs from playing the player they feel can help them win on that particular day. And I think that's really important, too. We've seen that throughout this year, right, where in May when things were kind of were kind of scuffling, they decided to bring up Matt Mervis and, and, and give him a chance to try and reignite the offense. It didn't really work out like they planned, but that that was a, a, a trying to a win-now move, per se, right? They did it with uh, Trey Mancini when when it was time to acquire Jamer Candelario. They had to make a move uh, on the roster to, to for for Candelario. It could have been easy to say, "Hey, uh, Mancini, you'll you'll be on the bench. You'll be the backup first baseman." And Nick Madrigal, Patrick Wisdom, you can you can go down to AAA, and right. and and that would have been the easy move to do. But the the best roster and the best win now move for the Cubs was to move on from Trey Mancini and keep Patrick Wisdom and keep Nick Madrigal and to 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 ride that out. And I, that's exactly as you said what we're seeing with Say Suzuki and, and the commitment from the front office again of the, he Mancini had a guaranteed contract for yeah, next year. That's exactly they eat it. Okay, yeah. uh, many franchises say, hey, you got to keep the player. We yeah. got to pay him for next year. We got to get something out of him. Cubs are not saying there. They're saying, hey. Didn't work out. We're going to move on and clear the way for another player to try to help us win. Bruce, um, as we wrap up talking about the the Cubs and the stretch that they've been on over the last few months, and specifically really over this last 16-game stretch that they were on with no days off, what has impressed you the most uh, about the Cubs and, and maybe like what, what are you looking for as a, 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 a going into the last two months of the year? I just think that the development of a mentality of we're, we're going to win this game. We're going to stay in this game. We're going to win this game. And that, you know, is rubbed off from some of the championship caliber players. I think the impact of Swanson is huge this year. Uh, he comes in 
Uh, it's got to live up to a huge contract. Uh, as you remember, in spring training, didn't hit at all. Got yeah. hot the beginning of the year right away. But the way that he comports himself, never showing any stress, uh, striking out quite a bit, but still making great contact, uh, driving in a lot of runs, and the way he plays shortstop, yeah. uh, the way he makes hard plays in the hole look easy. Uh, just bringing that winning mentality to the team. Same thing with Bellinger coming from the Dodgers. You know, They expect to win. The Cubs needed to have those type of players. So to me, Swanson is, is the real signature player of the Chicago Cubs, and they're a fight to go to the playoffs in 2023. Yeah, he's really been the catalyst, and, and they've said that even from day one when they signed him, when they announced that they signed him, that he was a winner, and that's that's what they were getting. And, and really, it's it's shown, right, that, that that's, that's been the case. Right. Bruce, um, before we wrap up, we, we want to talk about some, some really fun stuff that, that happened recently. Pat Hughes, the radio voice of the Chicago Cubs, was, in, was named the, the Ford C. Frick Award winner and was honored in Cooperstown, New York, just a couple weeks ago. You were there with him. I guess, can you recap just what that weekend was like, what that ceremony was like for, for Pat being, being there firsthand? Well, it was so special because, uh, you know, Pat, who, who does somewhere 10, 12 games on marquee as well yeah. uh, on Sundays and other days is such a professional guy and he and he's such a good person uh i'll just i'll tell you this andy when when we go to the cup convention and the players line up to sign autographs pat is usually down there in the uh, exhibition hall area to sit up at uh, sitting at a table signing autographs his lines are just as long if not longer than the players lines because Everybody relates to the voice of summer being Pat Hughes, the voice of Cub baseball during the summer. You're, you're driving your car, you go to the drugstore, you pick up the dog, you're taking your kids uh, from one event to another, and you're in and out of the car. But Pat Hughes is always there, consistently reporting accurately, giving the score, giving the inning, uh, you know, within those innings, and, and giving you that feeling that everything's all right. It's summertime. It's the best time of year. Cub baseball is there, and there's Pat Hughes. So he personifies Cub baseball, and he's just been doing this consistently, whether it was beginning his career in Minnesota, going to Milwaukee for 12 years, now with the Cubs for 26 years. He's just a, a pleasure to listen to and a great person to be around. Yeah, and, and it really is. I mean, there's been times where I, like, I'm, uh, if I'm not at the game where I'm listening to him on the radio driving, like you mentioned, doing some errands or anything, and just the way he paints the picture, right? You can see exactly what's happening crystal clear in your mind just because of the way he portrayed it, right? Where he's like, oh, it, it, the, the, the ball hit the batter and it brushed off the side of his pant leg. And it's like, okay, I've got the perfect image. And that's, that's what a great radio broadcaster does. And that's why he was deservedly honored as a Ford C. Frick Award winner. Bruce, the, being in Cooperstown, what... What was your favorite moment from from that weekend specifically? I just think uh, you know at the uh, the the, uh, the Ricketts family had a party for uh, for Pat after mm-hmm. the Hall of Fame had a party that we went to uh, on Saturday night after uh, Pat was uh, inducted on Saturday along with John Lowe, the writer from the Detroit Free Press, great guy and uh, a great writer, well deserved honor as well, getting the uh, the Excellence in Writing Award, and I, I think just spending time at that party that the Ricketts family uh, had with Hall of Famers, Lee Smith, Andre Dawson, Ryan Sandberg, their families, along with Pat and his family. It really was, you know, kind of the essence of what a Hall of Famer with the Cubs is all about, 
Pat felt, I think, that uh, familiar, all those people being there for him, okay, yeah. at that party, at that weekend, him being the centerpiece. So I, I think there was that, that great feeling, you know, during that time, you know, and, and we, we were able to sit down and do an interview from Marquis that people will see here soon as well uh, with Pat. So from all of that, I just felt that was the beauty of that weekend. That was the essence of what that experience was like. Uh, the Cubs opening their arms to Pat, the Ricketts family opening their arms to Pat and saying, welcome Hall of Famer. Yeah, and, and it, was, it was a beautiful weekend for a well-deserved honor for, for, for Pat Hughes, who, who was more than worthy of it, and, and a really awesome weekend. And if you didn't get a chance to catch anything that was done on, on Hall of Fame weekend, Marquee Sports Network will be premiering Icons of the Ivy, Pat Hughes at 7 p.m. on August 17th. And there will be behind-the-scenes content, the one-on-one -on -one interview that you mentioned with, with Pat from Cooperstown. And that will be on August 17th, airing on Marquee Sports Network. And if you miss it, if you can't catch it, if you can't tune in, it'll be on the Marquee Sports Network app and on YouTube after after it all airs. So you, you'll be able to catch it one way or the other. Bruce, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you for joining us on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Andy, if you could just make sure I, next time I get paid, that, yeah. would, that would be helpful. But I really enjoyed it. I always enjoyed uh, enjoy you and Tony on these podcasts. It's it's really great content, and I look forward to it every week. I don't know if I'll be able to help you if I'm getting that pink slip here soon, <laughs> so you might have to ask someone else. Uh, for Bruce, I'm Andy. Thanks for listening. That'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube.